think I heard a little groaning when my name was mentioned. You're probably thinking, well, he wasn't up here for over six years, and this is the third time since December. Well, uh, I want to ask that, you know, you kind of take it easy on me a little bit today, though. I kind of had a semi-traumatic experience yesterday, and I'm still, and my face is still kind of sore from the, the after effects of that, so I uh, came to the building, had my picture taken, they tried to make me smile. <laughs> so still got back where I'm, I'm used to. Also, you may repeat some of these things today. I want to assure you I'm not getting senile. That is for the effect that uh, drive the point home. Now, as I mentioned last week, that we were going to start seeking out additional elders to serve alongside the ones that are existing. And uh, due to that, it was decided that an elder would give one lesson and the minister would give another one. So I'm giving the one today for the behalf of the eldership, and uh, it's serious business, so that's why sometimes I might be repeating myself intentionally to drive certain points home we may not always normally think about. So in order for any institution or organization to uh, succeed, there has to be effective leadership. With poor or non-existent leadership, It'll just coast along accomplishing little or nothing as long as this lack prevails. And if it prevails, con- continues to prevail, it'll ultimately result in the demise of that organization unless it's pretty much guaranteed unless the trend is reversed. So no group with family, government, business, church, organization, is immune from the effects of faulty leadership. A quick survey of the Old Testament reveals the cycle of ups and downs experienced by God's chosen people. Success under godly leaders, failure and or captivity over godless ones. When we consider the church, the Lord's bride for which he paid the ultimate price, We can understand why God's desire is always the best for his people. If he didn't love us like he did, we never had the sacrifice that gives us hope. So when we search the scriptures to learn of and understand his plan, we find a plan that's much different than generally used by secular organizations and in the religious world, denominations as well. By focusing on this plan, we can see how godly wisdom comes into play. Wisdom the religious world sometimes seems they can improve and tweak upon. For instance, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Hmm. No guidance, failure. I get that one. But safety when there are multiple counselors, why is that so important? Well, when God ordained earthly leaders to guide his church under the authority of the chief chief shepherd, Jesus Christ, we find the term elder, shepherd, pastor, bishop, overseer, 
presbyter, always used in a plural sense when talking about leadership in the Lord's church. Never singular when we're talking about the oversight. Sometimes different ideas and opinions are necessary before reading, reaching important decisions. In fact, they always are. And so one person making all the decisions all the time won't cut it. Look at it this way. The greatest institution we have, the Lord's Church, is governed by a group of imperfect men. I know a lot of you thought I was perfect, but I've got to admit that I'm not, so... Anyway, it's just the case. We're all imperfect. But yet, it's a balancing act of strengths and weaknesses by men meeting godly standards are set forth primarily in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. I'll also put in one of the scripture reading I requested this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5 as well. He knew these imperfect men would make mistakes. But by achieving this balance of strengths and weaknesses, God carries out his will. Sounds like this is a serious undertaking for the spiritual health and destiny of any congregation and must only be done after considerable prayer and study. I'm sure the devil would love to have us play down the seriousness of this event and Casually just write down some names without regard or even little regard for the qualifications and the specific ones God has set forth and what they really mean. So let's not make it easy on the old devil by uh, just casually saying, well, it's just business as usual. Instead, constantly pray and actively search the scriptures to determine God's will for us in this matter throughout this process for the next little bit. Another point of God's plan for congregational leadership that differs from much of the religious world is uh, a lack of a central organization as well as a hierarchy of increasing levels of authority to reach that, the uh, central authority of that uh, organization, i.e., a chain of command. In other words, the local congregation is not control of its own destiny with this type of organization. God's plan, all earthly authority begins and ends with that congregation. Why? Surely it wouldn't hurt to have somebody on the outside to appeal to when things get sticky, would it? Evidently, God doesn't see it that way. Why not? Think about this. You know, we've heard in the news and read about it, about certain crimes and trespasses committed by trusted leaders of certain groups. And certain groups in the religious world, groups where denominational concept of organization is a, and a central authority exist. And we have seen through no fault of their own, others affiliated with that organization because the way they're linked together suffer the consequences even though they had no then no knowledge or no uh, control over that situation committed by others at all. By being, by, by being linked together by that, con- by that concept, 
That's where things start to fall down because they become guilty by association by being affiliated with that group. So God's plan, autonomous rule, makes us responsible for ourselves. If we fail due to the fact we're unable to make godly choices, you know, that's, that's, that's our fault, not somebody else's. Another thing is, you know, we can't always know what's going on around us and shouldn't know either. We have enough trouble taking care of our own affairs. In other words, don't dip your bread in another man's bacon grease <laughs> because we have enough to deal with on our own. So God's plan is using godly wisdom. and We have no right, no authority to tweak upon it. No matter how the religious world looks at it and says, well, I'm sure we can, it wouldn't hurt to do it this way. Well, it does. It makes a difference. So, so far we've seen that the uh, New Testament pattern for church leadership is a plurality of elders, leaders, and eldership, not a single elder. And when you think about it, it's generally healthy to have different ideas to consider when important decisions need to be made. We also see God's pattern indicates he desires autonomous or self-rule for each congregation. We find no scriptural authority for anything other than this. In Acts chapter 14 and verse 23, we read of Paul and Barnabas installing elders in each of the congregations they visited on one of their missionary journeys. Not one elder or a group of elders over multiple churches, but elders, plural, in each church. So if we stopped here and went no further, there'd be no assurance that this pattern worked better than any of the others. But the next part seals the deal, and I mentioned that a little earlier. Qualifications. It's an important one. Without proper consideration of the qualities needed for godly leadership, it could be a disaster in the making. So a period of concentrated prayer and searching scripture for insight is definitely needed. The spiritual direction of the congregation will be affected by those selected to serve in this capacity. It can be positive, but it can also be negative. Another reason for the seriousness of the matter. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1 are the main scriptures we have listing the qualification of elders. But we shouldn't stop there. Seek out additional scriptures that enhance the understanding of these statements that are found in these passages. This morning we'll read through 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach. Husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, uncontentious, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, 
How will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, lest he become conceited and fall into condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he may not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. We need to compare and combine this passage with Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And we'll find those qualities that make God's design for leadership work. There's no guesswork involved. Sometimes a reason for that qualification is given. Sometimes a statement is made just by itself. At any rate, you know, God said it, and we don't have any right to add to or take from what God has established. And I also want to add in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3 to add to that list. Now, these are much more than just a checklist. Here's one of the things I'm repeating on today. And it should be considered as a lot more than just a checklist. We need to do more than make a list and just check off yes or no for those we want to consider and leave it at that. Instead, I want us to want to encourage us to seek out scriptures that enhance the meaning of that statement in order to understand why God included that quality for his leaders. If we treat it as a checklist, we miss out on a lot. For example, I had a, have an old track. Not a bad track, everything's true in it. But it ended up there with just a list of uh, two or three words about each qualification with a, with a mark to a check mark there. And it was using the revised standard version where it says able to teach, says apt to teach. And somebody asked a fellow one time, well, you're going down the list, uh, not sure about this, are you apt to teach? He says, yeah, I'm apt to start one of these days. So what I'm saying is it's much more than just a cursory look at what it, of what the, what it says. We need to think about it and pray about it. Okay, for, we'll use that for one as an example. Why should an elder be able to teach? There are several passages that can illustrate this. And I'm not going to give you my favorite one now. I'll pick out one that's not even one of the best ones, but it does show us the reason for that. Acts 20, chapter 28 through 31. And this is where Paul has called the Ephesian elders together and having a discussion about serious matters. And this is what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he ordained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. This also reinforces Paul's statement in Titus chapter 1 and verses 9 and following. Another thing besides just looking for other passages to help us determine what the uh, reason was for the thinking, God's wisdom behind each one of those qualifications is I would like to encourage you to look through uh, Scripture and try to find passages where 
prominent leaders, not necessarily just the elders, but prominent leaders in the Bible due to their actions because they didn't meet some of these qualifications had disastrous results. So it brings up the challenge. The challenge is each day read the qualifications for elders found in both 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 1. Try to find at least one other passage that illustrates why each one is important. And hopefully this will help us recognize the seriousness of selecting godly leaders rather than superficially checking off a list of items without much thought as to why God expects his leaders to exhibit that one. The destiny of a congregation rests upon its leadership. Time spent in prayer and concentrating on all we can find in scripture on the subject will be time well spent and pay big dividends. Here are some other points. Just sort of familiarize yourself with how the process works from start to finish. We model our process, and it seems most other congregations do this, after the pattern we find in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Uh, the apostles were instructed the disciples to pick out seven men to take care of the problem of equitable food distribution that was a problem with the Grecian or Hellenistic widows. So why were the disciples charged with this task? Simple. They knew who could handle the job. Outsiders wouldn't. Also in the bulletin this week, there's three Greek words that describe three different facets of this position. And each facet is a little different responsibility, but it's the same position. Look those up if you have a New Testament Greek lexicon. Spend some time looking it up and reading what it has to say on that. If you're like me and don't have a New Testament Greek lexicon, they've got a good public domain online version. And there's a lot of, I don't read Greek, but sometimes I come across a Greek word. I like to look and figure out exactly what it means. And you can learn a lot and really see a lot more of the meaning, just reading sometimes how a word is translated in English. So keep that in mind. We have three different words, Greek words, translated six different ways in English, describing three different functions of an eldership. I know that's a small group question, but I'd say if you're not in a small group, take the time to look through them and read them, do a little study on your own. Because it can give us insight, because sometimes we think of elder, some people prefer shepherd, some people use many different ways, because there are different responsibilities for the same position. And each elder needs to be, have those qualifications. Now this process is not to be thought of as an election process or a popularity contest. If if I was selected on my looks, I'd have never made it. Bottom line is, it shows a level of indication seeking out of those that the congregation feels have the necessary qualities to assume that role, a very serious role. This is not time for campaigning or politicking. We know we have enough of that throughout the year and throughout the years. But yet it's a time of 
reflection and prayerful consideration of those we think meet that qualifications. And then after names are submitted, it's the elder's job to look through those lists, compare the those that have a good amount of mentions, take a look at them and compare the scriptural qualification to those names. Come up with a list and go and speak to the men and their wives to see how well if they're willing to serve and how well they meet those qualifications or ask them if there's anything, any reason they should not serve. And after that time, and each uh, man has been prayed with and talked with, then the names we put forth before the congregation. And then after the names are put forth before the congregation, there will be a short period of time to come up with any Scriptural objections. Now highlight the word scriptural. If anybody has any scriptural objections at that time, and this will be more about this later, it's just a brief mention of how this works, you're also to sign them. Not because you don't like their looks, not because there's something you know you don't care for them. Do you have a scriptural reason why they should be disqualified? And after that period of time, then the men will be put before the congregation as the new elders. Very sobering, serious time. And elderships have God-given authority over their congregation. Hebrews 13, 17, and Acts 20, 28, we read of a minute ago, in 1 Peter 5, 5, or three places, lets us know that's the case. And in a society where authority is often questioned, the authority of elders should not, be quali- should not be questioned according to Scripture. There's also a way, when I mentioned the first Peter chapter 5 and verse 3, kind of a quality right there that I think that sometimes we overlook. The elders do need to exhibit when it comes to, to, lead, to uh, leading the congregation. And I'm almost finished. But let's talk about this congregation for a minute. This congregation has been here since 1952. 66 years, or going on 66 years. During that time, this congregation has never had a split. You know, we have ups and downs from time to time. And actually, that's good because you can't really appreciate the sunshine until you go through a few storms. As far as serious divisions, we've never had it. I think it's a tribute to the desire of this congregation to step up when a need is made known and the desire to work together, whether it's here or elsewhere, to improve the lives of someone else and also show God's glory and God's love through whatever we can do for others. So 1952, it's a long time to experience these blessings of God. I wonder how many other congregations could say that. For that long a time, it'll still be a, a very stable congregation. Put this in perspective, in 1952, I was four years old. So all that prosperity for going on 66 years and enjoying God's blessings says a lot for the membership over the years. And uh, I'm convinced 
that whenever in the future, which is like now and beyond that, we're called upon to select additional elders, and we do so after prayerful and serious consideration, and those selected will have the desire to lead in the direction that God wants with a flock of godly people willing to follow that lead. And I'm convinced that God will continue to bless this congregation. Once again, we men desiring to lead in the direction God wants and a flock of godly people willing to follow that lead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with us all as we enter into this selection process and guide us through every step of the way. We ask that you will put into place those men whose desire is to help lead this congregation in the direction you would have us go. You know what's best and help us follow your lead. We thank you for this congregation, the stability it has experienced over the years, and pray that this pattern will continue in the future and we will be a light to others and you will be glorified as we continue to look for ways to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this evening, 5 o'clock, those that meet here, I'm going to be uh, leading that uh, time this evening. And during that time, I want to actually actively look in scriptures for what I put forth in the challenge and find other passages as well as maybe uh, lessons from past history when qualifications weren't met why they're so important. In other words, once again, we're looking far beyond it being a checklist. So I encourage anyone who wants to get in on that to join us at 5 o'clock this evening. And at any time, you may talk to me or any of the other elders about this process as we go along. Because we know the Lord's invitation is always available. But if you have any needs at this time you want to make known, you may also come forward as we stand and, and sing at this time. Say your life, O shepherd.